and welcome to another episode of Going Pro, a podcast in which we discuss how to make a living as a professional photographer by examining the lives, careers, and creative habits of professionals at every level of experience, as well as the creative producers, art directors, and photo editors that hire them. I'm your host, Brad Vassallo. Back in the fall of 2020, I made the difficult decision to leave a very secure but soul-sucking job in city government to pursue photography as a career. This show is my excuse to ask the people I respect and admire how they have navigated various stages of their own career. In this episode, I talk to Jody McDonald. As an award-winning photographer, Jody is no stranger to adventure and exploration in the last untamed corners of the planet. Having spent her formative years in Saudi Arabia before sailing around the world twice over the span of a decade on a kiteboarding, sailing, surfing, and paragliding expedition on board a 60-foot catamaran, she has traveled to over 100 countries in search of the unknown. From train hopping in the Sahara to paragliding in the Himalayas at 17,000 feet, she is passionate about stepping off the beaten path in pursuit of documenting issues that blend insightful storytelling, big adventure expeditions, and social change inspiration in the hopes of promoting the preservation of wild places. Recently, Men's Journal named her one of the 25 most adventurous women in the past 25 years, and she has had the opportunity to speak on the TEDx stage. She has worked on prominent campaigns with companies such as Disney, HP, Ford, and Leica. You can see her images in many international publications, such as National Geographic, Red Bull, Outside, BBC, Patagonia, Islands, and Men's Journal, as well as many others. So with that, please enjoy my conversation with Jody McDonald. All right, so Jody, welcome. It is a pleasure to have you on. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Of course, and I believe a belated happy birthday is in order? Yeah, yesterday. Awesome, awesome. So what is uh, someone like you who enjoys, you know, so much adventure um, spend their birthday doing? Yeah, I mean, a little disappointing, uh, I think, from what other people might expect. But yeah, no, I think uh, it's it's kind of nice just to hang out with friends and, and relax and have a pretty chill day. Eat good food, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Great. yeah. Well, I, I do have to say it's it's a little bit surreal for me to, to be able to um, to talk to you because, you know, in my eyes, uh, you're Jody McDonald, the National Geographic photographer. And and for a lot of people, I think, um, that grew up taking pictures, that's kind of the pinnacle of it all, right? So I'm curious if you could tell me about that journey for yourself and um, however direct or meandering it may be, how did you get to, to where you are now in your career? Um, I think it, you know, to be honest, probably really started in my childhood when I, I look back at it. Um, my favorite classes in school were always art and phys ed. I just love those two classes. And then um, when I was three, I ended up moving to Saudi Arabia. Um, my dad worked for a Canadian telephone company and they got a big contract to move over there and, and help set up the telephone system. And um, my parents had never traveled anywhere and you get a lot of perks when you kind of move to Saudi and you live in these compounds and uh, my dad's company paid for, you know, family holidays. So every school vacation and, you know, Christmas break and stuff like that, my parents were like, oh my God, we're going to go travel the world and see these places that we've never been. So um, I lived there for um, 13 years. So I got to see a big part of the world um, by the time 
I left Saudi. And I think that really, really did instill in me this love of, um, you know, just adventure and travel to these far, far flung places. And like thinking about being like Indiana Jones and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I had a older, I have an older brother who, um, was in Saudi with me and he's seven years older than me. And I think he very much has that, um, adventurous spirit. So when we were going on all these kind of holidays and stuff, we were, um, I think quite mischievous, mischievous and, you know, just trying to seek out these kind of crazy adventures and to the place in the places we were in. And I th always thought that was, I fell in love with it. I just thought it was so exciting. And, and I, I don't know how much you've traveled, but definitely, you know, when you travel a bit, you just, it just kind of opens your eyes into thinking, oh my God, there's so much more at the two, you know, see and experience. And so it just kind of, for me, it was definitely kind of like a, you know, just, I just got hooked. And then when I moved back to Canada, um, I, um, you know, went to high school and then I ended up getting a bachelor degree in outdoor recreation, um, which everyone makes fun of me for. They kind of like not a real degree, but it was the, it was the closest thing to something I was really interested in. I loved adventures in the outdoors. And so I was like, great, I'll, I'll get my bachelor's in outdoor recreation and I'll become a, an outdoor guide, you know, leading adventures into the wilderness. And, um, and then it was in college that I took my first photography elective. And for me, it was like lightning striking. I was like, oh my God, I can actually take my camera on my adventures and document them. So it was just really this, you know, melding, uh, and melt, you know, melding my passions, really art and, and outdoor adventure and not, not having no idea where that was going to go, because I think, you know, at the time being, uh, you know, a outdoor photographer was not even, I don't even know if it was a real thing. Like people weren't making much money and definitely something my parents weren't, you know, promoting me to do. Um, but I, yeah, so I just, I just, all I knew is I just wanted to do stuff that really kind of fueled my fire in, and that got me, you know, really passionate about doing and that I really enjoyed doing. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to do that. And then after uh, university, I started leading outdoor trips in um, British Columbia and just, yeah, always taking my camera with me. Um, and I started raft guiding in Alaska, again, taking my camera with me and just, yeah, I just loved, I loved, uh, I loved these experiences I was having in the wilderness and they were really kind of profound to me. I could tell they were like really important um, experiences were kind of like shaping my life. And I think being able to document them with my camera was kind of like a, I just was a really neat way to, um, like share these with other people. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily in a bragging for sure, not in a, a bragging way. I didn't want to like say, you know, how like social media is like, Hey, now look at, look at where I am. It was just like these, yeah, these experiences were really amazing and i think i wanted to share them to kind of like inspire others to you know get out into the outdoors and get out into the wilderness um and then um yeah from there i just was outdoor guiding i ended up uh quitting guiding because i um so i just kind of felt like i was getting pressure from like 
my family or not even my family because my family's always been really supportive but like more like societal pressures i would say to kind of get a real job you know i feel like that age after college there's a lot of particularly in the u.s because there's so much usually so much debt going you know going into school but just like this pressure to like yeah what are you going to do with your life and what are you going to what are you going to be like there's this kind of too much pressure um in that especially at that age but anyway um so i i ended up moving to vancouver uh canada and i got a job as a photo editor at a big outdoor retail company in canada called mountain equipment co-op and so i did i did you know the responsible office job nine to five thing being an editor um living in the city and I was like, yeah, I just, I, I think I wanted to A, see what it was like to see how much I liked it or dislike and just felt like it was in order for me to really figure out what I wanted to do. I kind of needed to check that box, you know? Sure. So I did that um, for a few years. Um, and then, so this is a, this is a long answer to your question. <laughs> That's okay. We've got all the time in the world. <laughs> okay. Um, so I was doing that for a few year, for a few years, and I was dating a guy who was a um, he was a bush pilot in Alaska, and he did a lot of uh, fly-in surf expeditions, and he was a paraglider. And he kept saying he would come visit me in Vancouver, and he would just say, "Oh my God, this job is just like sucking your soul," you know. And after ha I, I learned a lot while doing it, but after a few years, I wasn't really learning anything anymore. And I had a really hard time of looking at these photos of all these people doing, you know, being in the places that I wanted to be in. And I've just felt like my life was kind of passing me by in this office. You know, I could just kind of see into the future and see like 10 years going by and you know, cause it was the safe choice, you know, I just see like all this time going by and not really much changing. Um, and I just thought, Oh my God, like, I think he's so right. I need to, I totally need to, you know, change this up. And I knew the only way I could was by quitting and kind of like jumping off the deep end, you know, forcing myself to figure out the next step. So I quit my job. And uh, my last day of work, I got a phone call. I was supposed to, I, like at noon, and I got a phone call from a friend of mine that said my boy, boyfriend had died in a paragliding accident. Oh, wow. <clears throat> yeah. So it was like this huge kind of, yeah, huge event that, sure. that I, and I think, you know, at the time I had never experienced like grief of a lot lost one clo very close to me, you know, so it was it was a big um, traumatic event for me. And then um, so everybody was pressuring me to get my job back, get my apartment back and, you know, just get my life back. And I just was like, you know what, I can't like I just felt like that would be moving backwards, not forwards, you know, and, um, you know, he definitely didn't want me to take my job back, you know, so I just kind of felt like no, I need to do something totally different. Um, <clears throat> anyway, to I, I so I ended up taking a few months off, going on a road trip uh, down the west coast of the states, and I was just spent a lot of time by myself and paragliding and surfing and doing these things that um, you know he and I were going to do, and just spending that time to myself. Um, 
And then I kind of did that for a little while. And then I ended up um, about a year later, I ended up meeting somebody who um, said to me, hey, do you want to do want to cut like, do you want to do these sailing adventures in the South Pacific? And I was like, hell yeah. And I had like zero sailing experience. Um, I didn't even know if I liked it. And I just knew that, hey, you don't get to ask that question very much, you know, so I can always like bail and come back and be where I am right now, which is like trying to figure out my life and what I should do next. And <clears throat> but I can't always like, you know, go sailing in the South Pacific, or at least I thought I couldn't at that time. Um, anyway, so I did that. I, I took the plunge. I went to New Zealand and uh so this this guy was running these surf charters um in the south pacific on a on a monohull and i went to new zealand and um helped with a big refit before the season started and then um our first we had uh we left new zealand for um vanuatu and it was a 10-day passage and it was okay. It wasn't too bad. Um, and I think, you know, I learned pretty quickly that I got pretty seasick. And then immediately when we got to Vanuatu, we had to go to Fiji to pick up uh, our clients, some clients. And it was going against the trade winds and the weather was supposed to be horrible. And But we, we kind of had to do it because we had to get there by a specific time. And it, it ended up being the worst sailing passage of my life um we ended up getting in like torrential we were stuck under the inter uh this uh, convergence zone of just horrible weather it's like a band of horrible weather for 10 days and it was torrential rains that we had 40 foot seas i mean uh we had i mean the captain ended up getting malaria and was delusional uh we had like 40 to fifty thousand dollars worth of damage i mean it was it was just insane. I mean, I remember there was so much not like not only wet from the waves, but just like trend. We were in torrential rains, too. So I remember like being on watch, standing like almost almost up to your waist in just water in the cockpit. Like there was it was just like that much water and you're drenched all the time. And nobody everybody was sick, seasick and nobody could eat and you couldn't sleep because every side was as wet as everything outside I mean, it was just it was um, we almost lost the mast yeah it was like this crazy 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 um passage and i remember we even plotted like how we could like ram it into a reef and get like hell hellied out because we were just like how do we make this end you know like you just it was like so bad and i remember um getting we finally crept into fiji um a, you know 10 days later and it was just like i was just like that why would anybody do this you know like i just was couldn't even imagine why anybody would do this and yeah so i was so and i was also so seasick the whole time and i had the first mate throw up on me and oh it was just like you can't it was just yeah it was bad it's funny to um, me that after an experience like that you you know have only gone on on more and probably um more out there adventures since and it really kind of 
lit a fire as bad as the experience may have been or or at least as trying as the experience may have been it only yeah. made you want to do it more well somehow in some kind of a sick and twisted way <laughs> yes um but anyway i i got to fiji and i i you know i thought oh, okay i'm just gonna get a plane and go home this this sucks i don't know why anybody would do this but then after um like a day and a half just kind of sleeping in the hotel and i just thought you know what it's just <clears throat> this is just such a cool opportunity in terms of adventure and exploration i was like i can't quit this quickly i need i need to i need to really kind of see it through i knew that if i went home i'd be really disappointed in myself and i and i didn't want to have any regret about kind of quitting so soon so I was like, no, I gotta, I gotta stick this out longer. And it ended up being um, 10 years. Um, I, I stuck with it for 10 years and created a, um, a kiteboarding business uh, with it. And, and that was really um, also the beginning of my photography career in a lot of ways. So when I, when I started sailing, I was just like, this is, this is now my opportunity to really pursue photography seriously if I want to do it because I was just like we were going into all these amazing places and we specialized in remote locations and um I just thought yeah it's now or never you know this is the perfect opportunity and so I just started um taking pictures I got a really good camera and just started you know way better than my old camera that I had um on my ventures I just kind of upgraded all new gear and I was just like hey this is it I'm taking the plunge and yeah, so I just, um, from there, it was just like this progression really of kind of just taking pictures of all the places we were. And then we ended up having a lot of, um, when I, when I started the kiteboarding, uh, catamaran business, um, we started having a lot of pro athletes on board, a lot of kiteboarders and pro kiteboarders and surfers and stuff like that. So I was able then to start taking pictures of these athletes in these incredible places. So it gave me this kind of advantage, um, and not only good as a practice um, training ground, but uh, also having this content that these magazines might be interested in, right? Because they love um, publishing pictures of pro athletes um, doing their thing in cool places. So um, I just started submitting to some of these magazines. And um, when you start submitting, you kind of you know, learn fairly quickly um, what they like, what they don't like, and then like how to submit and all that kind of stuff. And I learned a lot about submissions and stuff from my <clears throat> photo editing um, in my office job. So I think uh, it was a good combination. And then, um, yeah, just slowly, slowly getting more published um, over that time. And at the same time, refining my skills, like just always trying to get better. Um, it was definitely uh, not, definitely not overnight. You know, this it t took um, a lot of time, number of years. And then I think, you know, just as you get published more and more, then it's it's easy to get, you know, that just grows. It kind of falls, right? Um, um, and then uh, as far as National Geographic, um, so they ended up, con they saw my stuff. I don't know where, and they ended up contacting me um to use some of my pictures and i think that's that's where the beginning of my relationship with national geographic started um and i think that's a kind of a 
a, an important point to tell people because that's probably the number one question I get all the time is like, how do you get in with National Geographic? And I always tell people like, just just focus on your stuff and if you and try to always get better at what you're doing and like just focus on the stuff you're really passionate about and just you know make sure you're putting it out into the world but you know if you're just doing you to the best of your ability whatever you know whatever you're shooting and you know people will find you like national geographic will find you and um otherwise it you know it can be it can be quite tr very tricky to get in with them i don't think you can just send them money you know a lot of people think oh can i just get a contact and send them an email i'm like no it just it like it it does it, i've never heard of it working that way i mean it might have um a while ago for some people but it just doesn't work that way so i mean you can imagine how much how many um people try to do that you know um sure. Well, and their model has changed over time, right? Yeah. Because they used to be more um, staff photographers and have a handful of people on staff. And now yeah. it's more or less freelance contributors. Is that right? It is. Yep. Yep. There's no more staff photographers. Um, yeah. So it's a, it's a, and you can imagine that it's a way more competition now in terms of, yeah, just the industry in general. So sure. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's how, that's kind of how it all began. And it's just kind of um, been a uh, kind of a progression since then to to now. Yeah, it's funny because the through line for a lot of people at your level seems to be this kind of hero's journey that kicked everything off um, for you. This this sailing around the world uh, yeah. for Chase Jarvis, um, you know, a backpacking trip through Europe for Chris Burkard, uh California Surf Project and for for everyone there's there's this moment where they kind of forego a past life of sorts and right. decide to make that big change so i'm yeah, sure that was, I, was terrifying. I think it's like taking the leap you know i mean we're all i i think if you look at yeah most most <clears throat> a lot of the stories it's like yeah it's they've took the leap they took the the risk to just kind of dive in and do it um and, and to be honest with you, every time I've done that in my life, it's paid off way more than taking like the safe road. So now I have, now I have trust in it, which is, which is good. But yeah. in the beginning, um, yeah, it's particularly hard. Yeah, I can yeah. imagine. So in terms of the commercial viability of being a National Geographic photographer or an editorial contributor in general. Um, editorial is not known for being the most lucrative path in photography. And so how have you kind of MacGyvered your, your career in a way um, that that has been not only a good way to find new audiences and sort of build a community around your work, but also to open up different income streams in your business and move into whether it's commercial work or sponsorships or whatever that might look like. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, it's totally, it's a, it's definitely an evolving thing. I, especially when I was on the boat, I would say most of my income was in terms of, uh, photography 
was editorial at the time because you know there were so many magazines and that was um they're you know they're always hungry for content so it was it was uh, a lot easier back then editorial and of course that's that's faded out so you have to kind of adapt to um you know the changes and of course you know the onset of social media and at first you don't even know how well you know what what that's going to look like in a couple of years or how that's you know how much energy you should put into doing that or um you know because you initially don't think it will amount to much you know i mean i think in the early years it was just like yeah so what you know who would have known it it would you know for people with a ton of followers um like what it does for them but yeah so i would say yeah just trying it's yeah it's all about adapting and i think for me now it's definitely um forced me to um diversify as much as i can um and i think the pandemic as well has really kind of um thrown a wrench in the works in a lot of ways um but for me yeah my i get um my revenue streams now are like a bit editorial definitely definitely minority um now but i have like print sales and now I, i've expanded i've done i've started doing workshops in different countries um definitely um social media influencer endorsements uh commercial work for sure because kind of those kind of go hand in hand um and sponsorships definitely um i'm just trying to say and then and then like you know when you're a lic image licensing is it would be another one okay so yeah it's um now it's just a combination of all those things and trying to kind of dial in all those different revenue streams and um really realizing how important that diversity is you know it's it's that it was a lot more when I think back more, you would get contacted a lot to do assignments in general for different magazines. And now that's not like, it's not really the case anymore. Like you got to go find your own stuff and go pitch your own stuff and be really proactive. Um, I think the days of kind of like, you know, waiting around for people to get you, you know, send you somewhere to do something are are definitely limited. So yeah, you just have to, it's like, it's completely, it's completely changed now. And I, and I really enjoy it because it's, it's a, it makes you hustle, but a, it's kind of like, wow, now I can just really do the things I want to work on and what I want to do. So like, how do I dream big and what, do, you know, what are those things and how do I go after them? And, and that's pretty exciting really to in my mind, because it's just like, wow, I can just create you know, I can just create the world I want to create um, and work on these things that really kind of get my my fire going. So, yeah, so that's what, exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So what what does that world look like that you want to create? What are some personal projects that are either in progress right now or coming down the pike that um, you've had your sights set on that you're really excited to? to be yeah. Yeah, I you know I I have a I have a lot of projects that I'm I'm, I'm excited about doing. Um, but I think in the in immediate future is I'm going to I've always wanted to do these long 
<clears throat> motorcycle journeys on the like Tibetan plateau and uh, do kind of like slow journalism. So not only have this like a great adventure on the motorcycle, but really kind of go slowly do like slow journalism, find these cool stories along the way. Um, Cause there's just so many, yeah, amazing experiences and people and stories that you do find. So I would love, I would love to create that, um, those kinds of trips. And I, I want to start a YouTube channel just to kind of document all that. And um, I just think that would be really, really fun. It's been on my bucket list for a really long time. And in 2019, I had a, um, a tumor scare um, where I was told I had one to four years to live. And then I, they got the tumor out and they were like, oh, it's benign. You're totally fine. <laughs> um, so, and that was right before the pandemic. And I just feel like between that and the pandemic, um, I just like, I want to start crossing stuff off my bucket list, you know? And, and again, I feel like, I feel like in a lot of ways, I'm, you know, taking this leap like I did in the beginning of my career with, with sailing, you know? Um, and I'm excited for that. Um, I think that would be really fun. And then, um, I've also been um, kind of working on some long-term projects, but train hopping is another big ha um, passion of mine that I like to do. And that's definitely a personal project. And I hope to keep that going in different places. And that's probably gonna combine it with my motorcycle trip. Cause if I meet some train hoppers along the way in these d different crazy countries, I'm gonna <laughs> wanna, <laughs> wanna partake in some of that. Sure. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, so that, I think that's what I'm going to be focusing on um, in the near future and then see where that takes me. And there's always like, you know, there's always going to there's going to be a lot of interruptions with that because I'll end up um, doing different commercial jobs or, or, you know, stop to do other work. Um, but, yeah, that's that's my big passion project coming up. Awesome. So when you're planning out these adventures, whether it was. The sailing trip maybe was given that it was in the early part of your career may not apply but nowadays when you're planning these adventures and personal work is there a sort of master plan at work um, where you're considering you know x adventure will hopefully lead to y opportunity or, or something along those lines um, how are you connecting the dots between that work that you're doing on your own dime and the work that you're getting hired to do yeah um to be honest now i think now i i'm just more more concerned about you know doing the you know i just i have this overwhelming feeling that life is so short and i i, I want to do so much and i don't want to wait i just want to do it and and i really I mean, my camera really does allow me to pursue my like curiosity and I love that. And I think a lot of, <clears throat> a lot of it is I don't, I don't overly plan because I love the serendipity in life. Like all my best experiences are, are not really having a plan. And I, I think that's going to be a big part of my motorcycling is like, I, I, I love getting lost and seeing where I, what I find. And it's always so surprising and exciting, so much more exciting for me and rewarding for me. So I love kind of being in that 
that place. Um, I just find when I create too much expectation through planning, um, things are never going to never go as I, I kind of want them to or expect them to. And then so I'm, I feel like I'm always in a, more of a state of being let down than than surprised and amazed by life, you know, so I don't have a lot of um, planning involved. And, and I'm, I'm just, I'm more focused on having these um, just kind of profound, amazing experiences in my life that just give me a lot of personal uh, reward. And then telling these stories along the way, because there's just so many cool ones. And just, again, sharing them with people and trying to make a difference and getting people inspired and, you know, want to protect the, the planet. And, you know, I think that's all kind of encompassed in one big, big thing. And then I've, I, I've just found that the more I kind of take the leap into these passion projects, the more the money follows. Um, because I think I do better work in those, in those situations. And I think kind of the passion comes through, you know, like you work harder and you, and it's just kind of, it shows, you know? Um, and so, you know, I just, I just find then you, you end up getting a lot more opportunity out of that as well. So it's kind of, in my experience, it's been like a win-win situation, even though I don't know what the outcomes are or even perceived outcomes are. Um, I think the most important part is just taking the leap and having, and knowing that, you know, if you do that and you really love what you're doing, then good things will happen. I mean, bad things too, but, you know, I always see, I try to see the good and the bad things too. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the maybe unfortunate byproducts of trying to sort of follow in people's footsteps um, through, you know, people that we're seeing through social media um and online following in their footsteps to become professional photographers for example is that and I'm, I'm guilty of this myself in some ways trying to monetize too early right trying to make it a career before the skills are fully honed um so what would you say to someone who maybe doesn't yet have hasn't yet busted their chops as a photographer just doing it for fun um, that's trying to sort of leapfrog to the point that it is a primary source of income. Yeah, I see that all the time. And I, I, I just kind of think about when somebody asks me about the money component, I'm, I'm like, you're, kind, you're missing the point because <clears throat> none of it is about the money. Like to me, still none of it. It's about how it's about, I, you know, I love photography so much. I cannot not do it. Um, and just pursuing that relentlessly, to be honest. And then, and then if you, if you do that relentlessly, then, and you keep improving your craft at the same time, you'll, people will start offering you money for these, for this stuff and your services and your photographs. And then all of a sudden you realize, oh, okay, this is actually growing. This is, and then you can, like, it's a process. It's definitely not overnight. And then like you wean off maybe what your other job was because this is kind of overtaking your life in, in you know, not only time-wise, but 
monetarily. So then you're like, oh, well now, now I guess I'm a professional photographer because I'm making most of my income through photography. Um, and I would say if you ask most photographers, um, that's the way it goes. You know, it's just, it's just pursuing your passion relentlessly. You can't just like, you know, go take pictures in a cool place and be like, okay, now how do I make the money? You know, it's like, yeah, if you're asking that question to me, you're completely missing the point. Um, you, it has to be, if it's not an absolute passion of yours, then, and you, you know, you live, breathe it all the time. I would say maybe this isn't what your profession is supposed to be you know because i just think if you have that expectation of money it's to me that's telling me that's not a big enough passion i think you got to be saying to yourself like i can't live without this i cannot stop doing this i'm willing to do anything to do this i'm willing to sleep in my car i'm willing to uh you know not drink at bars anymore i'm willing to uh you know sleep in ditches and places and like, uh, you know, I did a project a couple of years ago, I was in the jungle in India and I like I had rats running all over me all night. And, um, you know, and for me, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, not the funnest night I've ever had for sure. But, you know, for me, it's like all part of the process. And I love that. I love that process. I love that. It's all exciting to me. And um, like, I'm, I, I, I'm willing to do those things because I love photography that much. And, and I would say, yeah, if you're not willing to make all that sacrifice and be relentless in the pursuit of it, then you should probably find something else to do. Well, well, I, I didn't quite have rats crawling all over me. Um, this past weekend, I was taking a trip up to New Hampshire for just a casual, uh, casual trip to, to do sort of a guided sunrise hike in the White Mountains. And so we were up at 2 a.m. to get to the summit of Mount Lafayette by 5.30. And, you know, at the beginning of, of the hike and really up until 30 minutes before we were able to summit, you could see every single star in the sky. And just as we're about to crest, you know, this, these gusts of wind blow clouds in and essentially bring us nothing but whiteout conditions for sunrise. And we got none of it. So I agree with you that the adversity is, is part of the fun of it. But in those instances where it squanders the photography element, um, how do you move through that, first of all, but also how do you plan for contingencies around those sorts of environmental factors, whatever they may be, whether it's yeah. weather or, or otherwise? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, it's time. It's like, spend, you know, it's spending time in a place long enough, I think, or if it's like a seasonal thing, then coming back, to be honest. It's, um, you know, there's a lot of, lot of stuff that I work on that I go back, I go back to the place many times. It's not just, you know, a one one-time thing. And then often when I'm on assignment, like I'm, I'm out there for three weeks, a month, maybe six weeks, maybe two months. Um, so yeah, I just, you know, you kind of need to, 
and every time you're out there, you're learning new stuff. So you're learning, oh, okay, the weather's generally doing this, and this is what it's doing at this time of day, and this is what the people are doing, and this is where, you know, um, and then seasonally too, exactly. It's kind of the same thing. So I think you have to think about it um, in those kind of ways rather than I think people who are just used to traveling for 10 days at a time yeah their their windows are very tiny and so they either get lucky or they don't um and that's yeah that's just not the way i travel um i'm i'm there specifically for a certain um set of images and so i have to play the waiting game and the and you know um be willing to come back many times to kind of make it happen a lot of the time and then other times you just kind of accept that, you know, you can't get every shot. I mean, that happens to me all the time. And some of them I've missed, you know, are just, it's so depressing. <laughs> um, but, you know, you just realize there's so many more sh cool, amazing shots to get and you can't get them all. And, you know, you just try your best and try to do what you can. Um, but yeah, it's not, it's definitely not easy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was a long drive back, that's for sure. But yeah. um, when you when you go into these places, while you don't necessarily want to plan every step of it, do you go in with sort of a vision of the kinds of shots that you oh, want yeah. to walk away with? Yeah, 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 for sure. What does that process look like? Do you have a shot list? Is it uh, Do you mood board it, or is it more just a visualization of sorts? Yeah, it's a combination. I mood board it. I do a rough shot list. The shot list always changes when you're there on the ground, of course. Um, <clears throat> but it's good, to it's good to have like a general shot list of the stuff to, just to kind of go back to, to go, oh, yeah, okay, I need, I need to make sure... I get to, you know, some more detailed shots of this or, you know, it's just like a checklist, basically an overall checklist, but then you kind of fine tune it um, when you're on the ground and I mood board it too, because I think that's very helpful. And then, um, and then I also actually draw. So I, when I'm, when I'm starting to get, when I'm on location and I start to see like what kind of what's happening and um the lights and the people and all that kind of stuff whatever it is um i start to get ideas of different shots i want to get based on the time of day and then i'll start i'll sketch those out um very very rough um but like i kind of want to sketch them out while i'm thinking of them and then i can always just go oh yeah 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 that shot would be great you know it's just a reference coming back to it so it's like it is a combination of all those those different things sure. and just trying to make sure that you're getting all those different angles because you do end up getting like down these uh you get more focused on wanting to get like one or it's like one or two certain shots and then you're kind of like oh yeah, yeah yeah i gotta think i gotta think broader again like i have a bigger checklist i need to so it definitely helps to have have that checklist and those reminders um so yeah. So similarly with location scouting, what you cover so much ground in the work that you do. So how do you come across the locations that you're um, looking to shoot when they're not explicitly given to you on assignment? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of, it's really, I mean, some of it loosely of it is doing research on the internet. I would say, I say a lot of the stuff is um, just from being out in the world. So 
um, often when I'm out working on something, I'm keeping my eyes out for other cool stuff or cool places or um, hearing people talk about certain places um, when you're when you're traveling. Um, kind of all those different things. And then when I'm usually out traveling, I end up and it usually leads me to other places um, that I'm pretty interested in going to or things I'm seeing. So, yeah, I would say I would say that's the biggest way. I mean, I think it's I think it's pretty hard just kind of like staying at home and trying to find stuff on the Internet because. Like still the really good stuff isn't really on the internet. You know what I mean? Like the, you, cause you want to going, you don't want to go photograph the stuff that everybody's photographing on Inst social media or Instagram. You're trying to go to those places that, you know, not that they haven't been found, but maybe haven't been documented that much or from a different angle or from a different storyline or <clears throat> yeah. So, I mean, I, I remember when I was in the beginning and that geo, I, the Nat Geo photographer George Steinmetz. Um, he's a friend of mine, and I remember asking him about some of the story stuff. And he, I remember him saying to me, "You just got to go out in the world." And and he like he was totally right. I mean that it keeps coming back to me all the time. You just, you know, you just got to go, and then that's how you find that's how you find the stuff. Again, it, it's again like taking the leap, right? It's ha having, uh, you know being having that faith that 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 it's going to lead to other things even though you have no idea at the time what they're going to lead to you know and that's you're where just, that's where it's just so hard for people to wrap their head around they're like but i don't know where what to do or where i'm going to go or what i'm going to find and i'm like yes that's exactly right that's the that's the point you know um so yeah do you catalog those places just in your mind? Do you have tools or, or places that you are storing that information um, to come back to? For example, I, I use Evernote uh, yep. pretty religiously for, for that sort of thing. So are there any kind of um, tools or tactics you have for keeping track of some of that? Yeah, information? no, I have well, notebooks for sure. Um, <clears throat> Evernote for sure is a good, is a good one. Um, and then for mood boarding, I use an app called Milanote, um, which I've, I've quite, I've grown to, to like a lot, um, especially when I'm working on assignment, it just helps to kind of build the story out visually, um, as I'm taking pictures. And then if I have like mood boards, um, I can, you know, easily just grab stuff I find off the internet or screenshots or whatever, and pull that into one big board. So, it, and it's kind of all there and it's just really easy. Um, so yeah, that helps a lot too. Yeah. So it's a combination of those things. Okay. And speaking of things on more of the tactical side, what does your asset management workflow look like when you're traveling on assignment? Yeah. So mine is, and I'm sure everybody's is different. Um, mine is I have, um, I usually have three to four, five terabyte hard drives on me. And they're the I use the Western digital ones because now they're quite small. Um, and I back everything up in on three different drives. 
And I put those, I kind of keep those in separate bags. And if I'm traveling with someone, I might give them one to travel home with. But I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I, yeah, I back up all my cards, all the stuff I shoot onto those. And then um, when I come home, I download them. I have a big kind of uh, Synology. Um, do you know what those are? Like, I, I have one myself, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I, then I put them on all to there so that I can access them remotely if I have to. Mm -hmm. um, For people wondering what we're talking about, it's a, a network attached storage. Yeah. So sort of a personal server of sorts. Yeah, right. Yeah. So that, yeah, because that was one of my problems was like when I was traveling, somebody would email, an editor would email me like, oh, hey, can I get this photo? And I'd be like, oh, God, I don't have the drives with me, you know, like, uh, um, so now I can kind of access my whole um, archive um, through there, you know, while I'm traveling. So that's, that's really great. Um, yeah, so that's basically how it works for me. I mean, I'm sure there's better ways. It's just, it's kind of funny. It's one of those things that once you just, what you've started doing and that you figured out that kind of works for you is um, a kind of thing. I mean, you end up kind of sticking to it unless, unless somebody, you know, shows you a different way, but yeah, yeah it's kind of one of those things. Yeah, you get it'd be really, it would be really everything. cool to see how everybody does it and you know, like which one is the best, most efficient way. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm not sure we can figure out what, what the most efficient way is, but I'm, I'm hoping to figure out different ways that people are doing it. And, and yeah, for sure. Part, part of why we're here, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that'd be really interesting information. So, yeah. Yeah. So that nobody really talks about, you know, right. nobody really, nobody really talks about it. Well, and that's what I've found is that there's a lot of podcasts, a lot of different avenues uh, where people are talking about sort of the, the motivation um, to become a photographer or a creative professional in some way um, and sort of the psychology behind it but there's not a lot about the actual tactics or practical element of you know what are the numbers what what does it actually look like um, as a professional photographer and uh, and yeah in terms of workflows and, and um, asset management I haven't seen a lot of that and yeah that's kind of what inspired me to, to start having some of these conversations. Yeah, no, it's good. It's, it's, um, yeah, it's, it should be talked about more because it, it is an important part of the process, but yet nobody really sees it as such, you know? Yeah. 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 So there was something you shared on Instagram the other day that I thought was interesting and I, I tagged it just, uh, to bring up today. And it was a, a quote from Carl Jung. Do you remember what it was? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Could you, so yeah, the quote was, it was where your fear is, there your task is. Yeah. So tell me why that resonates with you. And, um, and also where is your fear these days? Oh yeah. I mean, it's such a great quote. Cause yeah, I mean, I think everything in all my experiences in life have, have just, like I said earlier, it's like every time I've taken that risk, or follow like basically when you take a risk it's kind of like following your fear right um and every time i've done that i've it's it's benefited me in so many ways and i'm not just talking monetarily i mean i i i don't care about money very much it's not what drives me at all so when i make decisions it's it's 
it's definitely not, um, it's seldomly uh, money, money decisions. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's benefited me in so many ways, just like personally, I, I, when you, when you are pushing that edge and, and into fear, your personal growth is, is huge and you gain more confidence, you gain more skill, you gain more knowledge, um, and awareness. And I mean, so it has all these benefits. Um, and, and so much of our society is the opposite, you know, like I know, so we always are trying to take the safe route and the safe thing all the time. And I'm like, yeah, but your life won't be fulfilling if you live the safe way. You know, you gotta do these things that are uncomfortable and scary and risky because that's where all the all the growth is. Like I think in every way, you know, when you have all this personal growth, then you'll then the money growth will happen and the, all this other stuff will happen. So it it all happens there. You know what I mean? So it's like you got to keep pushing towards it, even though, you know, it's scary and you don't want to. And yeah, that's a, it's a big, a big philosophy of mine that that's, you know, that's where you're going to find a fulfilling life. You will not find it staying at home, you know, doing the same thing all the time where it just feels comfortable. So just to come back to where is your fear these days? Yeah. Where's my fear? Um, uh, well, honestly, a big fear is like my health going to shit after that tumor scare, which is something that's completely out of my control. It's not like I can go towards that fear, but um, yeah, that is a fear of mine. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of fear in my, I think all photographers, we, you know, we have, you know, you're talking about like different income, like income, like it's always fluctuating. There's, there's never consistency. And I think you have to learn to really like that process. Um, and, and I think that's a, as for me, that's always this underlying fear. I think you feel like, Oh, you know, there's these moments where you're just not pulling in much income and you're like, Oh my God, like how, you know, I really want to make this lifestyle keep going for me. How do I, you know, um, you know, how do I do that? I'm not making money, you know, that much money right now. So it's like, or, you know, that, that kind of thing. And I think the other thing is just feeling like, you know, I don't know, like, how do you, um, you know, stay true to yourself. Like for me, it's like staying true to myself and trying to make decisions that aren't, you know, again, like money-based or do you know, make decisions based on what I truly want to, want to do in this in this world and and my other fear is squandering my time and my life to be honest with you is 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 not doing these things because i tell you why like even the pan the pandemic like you, you we are forced to stay home and you as humans we're so good at adapting that you get used to staying at home and you kind of get comfortable staying at home and you're like oh it's, it would be so easy just to keep staying at home and like, that's another fear of mine that I get too comfortable in my life. You know, I just, that I'm squandering uh, my time and, um, you know, just having all these experiences while I, you know, while I can. And um, I think, you know, that also ties into my health scare too. I think it's even more, more prominent now. I, I mean, I've always felt that, but I think it's even more prominent now. Um, 
Yeah. So I think it's, you know, a lot of, for me, it's a lot of that stuff. It's just like, you know, I love my profession. I love my lifestyle and, um, I want to keep it going, but not getting too comfortable. It's like that. It is that combination. Yeah. For me, it was a combination of, of where I was at professionally and a health, health scare of my own. Um, you know, I was, 26 working in city government which is an undesirable enough place to be at that point and i was you know i came across uh an irregular heartbeat that i had and, and had to have a total of two cardiac ablations and decided oh, wow. that there was just not a, a world in which i was going to stay on that escalator to a full right. pension no matter how comfortable it was yeah and so the way that I look at it is there was a straight line path to maybe a desirable future, but what I was doing was getting back to the bottom of that escalator and getting on a different one that was a steeper trajectory and took me to an even better, more fulfilling place like you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to look at it is an is a escalator. Um, the thing though, you know, I think if you really love the process of what you're doing, like it's basically being present, right? Like if you just love the process of it all, then there's no like pinnacle. Do you know what I mean? It's more like an S like a, like a sideways um, airport escalator rather than a bottom to top escalator. Do you know sure. what I mean? And I, I, I think, I think that's really important because you gotta really, yeah be in the present and love what you're doing in the moment and not being like hung up on these outcomes um that take you out of the present because i think that really again um you know creates these expectations and you know then let that you get let down and you're kind of living in this you know a little bit of an unfulfilling world and that and i think that's sad too you know so yeah. i think you got to redefine to what like like you know, society, of course, considers success monetarily, but I don't at all. And I think that, you know, rewiring that really helps me a lot into, um, yeah, just um, not being so hard on myself, but also just learning to love, you know, where I'm at and, and also love not knowing where it's going to lead. Like, I find that very exciting, um, which I think for a lot of people is scary, but, you know, you can't, nobody knows what the outcomes are. So it's like, why waste your energy, you know, yeah. on, on trying to predict what they are. I mean, I think you can have goals for sure, which is great. But if you're loving the process towards the goal, then you're always winning, you know? Right. right. Yeah. You may hear my cat in the background trying to break down the door. So excuse that. <laughs> um, that, that brings to mind something that I've tried to be better about recently. And, and that's with, you know, my goal setting process, I've never been a big fan of New Year's resolutions or anything of that sort, but trying to still have a benchmark for myself to, yeah. to keep going. Yeah, um, sure. And so not completely throwing out the idea of desired outcomes, but trying to connect each of those to a sort of process related goal too. Right. So if there's a goal of adding 10 new people to my email list, then the process related goal being reaching out to another 30 potential contacts that might be interested and hoping that 
a third of them decide to convert and join that list. Right. Um, are, are there any sort of processes and process related goals that you are trying to, to follow more diligently to lead to some of those outcomes, even if that's not uh, sort of the end all be all? Yeah, I mean, I think, I, I definitely think they are, and I think that's important. Um, I mean, I just kind of try to break stuff down into steps and see if I can just like move move the needle in that regard, but also enjoying every kind of step along the way in a lot of ways, if that makes sense. But um, yeah, I definitely don't have, and I think, you know, I definitely know, you know, yeah, I just have these general um, outcomes or goals. And I just, yeah, I'm trying to, like every decision I make, is it moving me towards that or away from that? I think it's a, it's kind of a, a basic kind of way I think about it in my mind is like when these, you know, whatever I want to do or the opportunities that come my way, is it moving me towards it or away from it? Um, and if it's away, then it's kind of easy. It's, you know, then I'm like, oh yeah, I feel really good about saying no to that because it's not moving me towards that desired outcome um, down the way. And I, I know it seems basic, but I, I find that very helpful. So do you, do you have any other advice for aspiring photographers um, trying to become professional and, and more specifically those maybe looking to contribute to a publication like National Geographic or other editorial publications? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I honestly think that the really everybody wants to know the secret sauce. I mean, I think the secret sauce is, is take photos of the stuff you're really passionate about and get as good as you can. Like, yet, I mean, you, that's the amazing thing about photography is that you can always get better. It, you know, I think even at no matter what level, um, like I was with Steve McCurry in Italy in the summer and, um, you know, just watching Steve, it, you know, he, he's just always in the constant, the, the process of trying to improve his images and he shoots constantly, like constantly. I've ne I've never been around someone who shoots as much as him in terms of like he walks nonstop every day looking for the photos and he may only take 10 pictures in the day, but he's actively out there doing it all the time. It's, it's amazing. Um, and following his curiosity, trying to take better pictures. And he was like, you got to practice every day. Um, and, and so, yeah, you gotta, you gotta be relentless about it, but in order to be relentless, you got to really find the stuff that you're passionate about and, um, go after it you know just you got to keep you got to keep plugging away at it and then um just keep trying to get better and i mean i think i think it's particularly hard nowadays because we're we're inundated with you know all these images so i think another thing would be to try to try not to necessarily emulate other people it's try to figure out what your style and what the way you see the world is and help refine that angle. And then, and then have, so have your unique style within your, you know, photography, but that takes time to develop and that takes time to understand. I mean, I know, I think in the beginning, it's really good to emulate others because it's, I think it helps you learn a lot, but then I think you want to move on from that and you want to, 
you know, really focus on your own thing. And then, and then in order to stand out in, in kind of the sea is try to find just really unique stories or this, it could be a story that's already done, but maybe do it from a unique angle that nobody's ever seen before. Um, I just think there's so much opportunity when you kind of, when you can do that. I mean, I just, I always see these amazing, cool um, photo projects or, you know, that the people like, you know, just, uh, yeah, they just take a unique angle on it and they shoot it in a, in a unique way and it really stands out, you know? Um, and yeah, so, I mean, and, and unfortunately, I think um, in this day and age, you kind of have to be a part of the social media realm and, you know, put your work out there um, and let it be seen, of course, because, you know, no matter what you're taking, if nobody sees it, um, yeah, probably won't go anywhere. But yeah, I mean, I think it's just like a combination of those things and you got to be relentless and you got to pursue it. And I think you can't think about the money. I mean, you should not, if you're an uh, amateur photographer, to me, you should not be thinking about the money. That should not be your driving force at all. Um, you just got to do it for the love of it and just try to be as, you know, again, improving your craft along the way. Um, I always tell people when I was a photo editor at Mountain Equipment Co-op, I used to go to these parties and or a party and then people would ask me what I do. And I was like, oh, I'm a you know photo editor for Mountain Equipment Co-op. And they'd be like, oh, can I send you these pictures? I took these amazing pictures from my backcountry ski trip this weekend. And uh, I was like, sure, yeah, send them to me. But like, I knew as soon as they said that they would be total shit <laughs> because, you know, like you gotta, um, it, it's so hard to take really good pictures. <laughs> And if you haven't figured that out, then you're not far along, far enough along in the process to figure that out, to just randomly say, oh, yeah, I've, I took a lot of amazing pictures. Like, I mean, you know, I think out of my pictures, there's maybe one or two I like in my whole career so far. And it's just um, it's just because, like, I think I think as you improve the craft, you realize how taking good pictures is really difficult and. I think uh, when you're very critical of yourself and you you're trying to find ways to improve it, you're always, you know, you're just thinking about that kind of from that kind of angle. So, um, yeah, you you're, you you got to be really critical and just always. I mean, I think um, with that mindset, like, how can I make this stuff better? Um, and yeah, I just yeah, just yeah, I don't know. I yeah, hope that I, hope that makes sense. <laughs> no, it definitely does. It definitely does. And it's refreshing to hear that even someone with the portfolio that you have, you still look at a lot of your pictures and aren't content with them because I feel that every day and I think a lot of us do. And um there's always something that you can that you feel you can do better and, and right. to make it better. Um I heard Corey Rich, the uh climbing photographer, yeah. speak in Philadelphia about a year ago, I think. And he said, in your career, you're going to take a lot of mediocre photographs. You're going to take a handful of uh, good photographs and you'll maybe take just a few great ones. Yeah. And, um, and so I think that's the goal is, is to chase those few great ones, but to just be refined enough in your craft to consistently be good. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, exactly. Like I, when I, you know, I think, I think it can sound quite depressing <laughs> for, uh, when you hear somebody say, oh yeah, like I made like one of my photographs, but it, for me, it's not depressing at all. It just, it's a, it's very motivating for me to, to go out and take better pictures. And I, I really love that about photography. You know, it yeah. doesn't, it just, I don't find it, um, it doesn't uh, dissuade me for sure. It just kind of motivates me, which is which is good. But I just, yeah. I mean, I think I think if people can realize that, then it may be a little bit humbling, and then they can say, "Oh, okay, maybe my photographs, maybe I need to revisit this. <laughs> like maybe maybe they're not as amazing as I thought. So how can I make them better? Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah, no, it's a, it's a combination of um, of those kind of those things, you know, um, for amateur photographers, if you really want to become a professional, you, um, and, and then sacrifice, I think is another one, um, in terms of, there's a lot of, a lot of people who, um, uh, ask me like, you know, I live in Seattle and I work three jobs and, you know, uh, how can I become a professional photographer? And I'm like, well, uh, you gotta, you gotta leave Seattle. Like, I mean, you're, you're living in a place that's so expensive. That's not giving you, you mean, you can never get, you can't, you know, you, you can never get ahead to go do anything that you really want to do. Um, and I think that's, that can be hard for a lot of people who live in these, you know, really big cities where the cost of living is so high. You just have like no spare time or no way to get away or to save money to go anywhere or, you know, so that I would, you know, I, and that, and that can be easier said than done, but I think it comes back again to taking that leap, um, to maybe, you know, shake up your life some way, maybe, uh, you know, go, go live abroad for a year or go travel for six months or, um, go live, just go live somewhere that, that doesn't have such high cost of living. So it allows you to kind of save up some more money, um, to maybe uh, pursue some of these um, stories that you want to do wherever they are. Um, Cause you also need the time, right? And if you're, you know, working three jobs, you don't even have the time. So yeah, it kind of, kind of has to be that combination. I mean, I uh, like so much of Asia, like I, I used to live in, in Indonesia for a while and it was fantastic cause the cost of living is so low there and you can live like a King and you, you know what people are paying here in the states for a month's rent you could live there for oh god i don't know oh, three four yeah three four five months you know and then there's you're in this kind of really cool location and there's so much to photograph and so much so many cool experiences and you know but you gotta you know you gotta be willing to take that leap to get on a plane to go and or or make the move or you know you gotta you kind of have to get out of that comfort zone and follow that fear, you know? Um, and that's how you start. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah you, uh, you mentioned Steve McCurry earlier and I, I've, he's, I'm so glad you brought him up because he's by far one of my favorite photographers because he's just got so much depth to every single photo that he takes. And yeah. um, I was oh, looking he, at, uh, he's, he's masterful. He's masterful. Yes. Yeah, yeah yeah just bringing out the emotion of the moment and, and capturing action in its own way and and you know i looked at a photo that he shared the other day of 
some fields in, I, I don't even remember where, but it was somewhere in Asia. And, um, you know, it's four incredible photos in one, uh, just with the different layers that it has. And yeah, um, yeah so that's, yeah. that's someone who's definitely figured out their craft. I'd be curious to hear how many of those he actually would consider great photos, but, you know, like everyone, probably not many. Yeah, and I don't, I definitely don't think he sees them that way, you know, um, no. he's not saying he's not seeing a photo as like a great photo or not a great photo. It's just like, I think he's, he's seeing ways that it worked, and then areas he can improve on, you know. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, you really, um, I mean, he's, he's a lifetime of shooting all the time. Um, and that's why, I mean, he's, he's Matt, he's, He's mastered the craft for sure in my mind, but in his mind, I I, I doubt if he if he has. So, um, but yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it's funny how that self-criticism <laughs> works sometimes. Yeah. So, Jody, what's next for you professionally? Um, right now, actually, I'm I'm going to India soon. I'm going to start my motorcycle trip. Awesome. So that's what I'm going to do. I just I just uh, worked on a commercial project for a Mazda um, a few weeks ago, and um, now I'm prepping and planning to um, yeah go to India. I was supposed to um, go to Mongolia too, but that's that's been canceled because of the the restrictions in China and the COVID restrictions. Um, you know, things are starting to come back, but they're still changing a lot. So in terms of like uncertainty, you know, people just don't know what's going to get shut down again. I think with these, you know, Chinese um, restrictions, that's, you know, causing a lot of uncertainty as well, but in the war, of course. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's on my docket next. That's what I'm planning for right now. So I'm excited. I'm, that's amazing. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm ready to do a big trip. Yeah. Well, certainly be safe and, and enjoy. Um, it sounds like an incredible experience. Yeah, hopefully. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. So where can people find you if they're, if they're wanting to see your work or learn a little bit more about you? Yeah, they can find me on my Instagram um, account, which is at Jody McDonald photo. And then my website is jodymcdonaldphotography.com. And those are, I mean, I'm on Twitter, Jody Photo, and <clears throat> Facebook, um, Jody McDonald Photography. So, yeah, those are kind of the main, the main areas you can find awesome. me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Jody McDonald with an A. M -A -C. Yeah. M -A yeah. Yeah. Common, yeah. Common misconception, I imagine. Yeah. Right. Thanks for awesome. pointing that out. <laughs> of course. Of course. Well, Jody, it's been. Uh, an absolute pleasure. I, I appreciate you, you know, setting the time aside and having this conversation. Um, hopefully we get to do it again sometime. But uh, in the meantime, I really hope you enjoy your journey across Asia and get some incredible images while you're at it. Yeah, well, thank you so much. It was it was a real pleasure chatting with you today. And yeah, hopefully we can do it again in the sometime in the future when I'm maybe more along in my motorcycle trip we can chat yeah. about that <laughs> i would love it i would love that <laughs> okay awesome Great. all right well jody take care and um and yeah we'll chat again soon okay thanks brad appreciate it all right yep bye-bye Hey guys, Brad again. Just one more thing before you go. If you want to hear more about my own work and journey as a creative, head to bradvasala.com slash rundown. That's R-U-N-D-O-W-N. 
become a subscriber and receive a short email from me every month with stories from behind the lens, recent travels, and digital access to a quarterly catalog of my latest work. It's a light read, easy to sign up, and over 100 like-minded creatives have already joined. So don't miss out. Go to bradvisala.com slash rundown to sign up today.